Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is good to be with you on this beautiful, albeit a little chilly, first Sunday of the month of February. And today is a very special day in the life of our church because if you were not aware, uh, today is our second grade milestone, which means that we have some very special guests sitting in the best seats in the house. Who doesn't want to sit right in front of the preacher? Uh, and they are, they are learning all about communion today. And so uh, not only are we going to be talking about communion during the sermon, but we're also going to be celebrating communion this morning. And when we get ready to transition to communion, all of the second graders are going to be invited to come and stand around our altar table because what we want them to do is we want them to have a close, personal look, first-hand look at what it is that we do when we celebrate this holy meal we call communion. And so we thought, what better way than to invite them forward and to see it firsthand. Now, this morning, uh, if, if you've been here, you know that we have been in a sermon series since the first Sunday in January. It's called This Is Us. And what we've been exploring is what it means to say that we believe in God and grace and faith and all of those big monumental Christian doctrinal beliefs. But what does it mean to believe in them from a Wesleyan perspective of faith? In other words, what, what does it mean to say that we believe in these things when we look at them through the lens of a United Methodist? And so we started in week one by looking at uh, a very unique take on baptism. And then for the next three weeks, we looked at John Wesley's understanding of grace, three different perspectives on that. And then this morning, we're going to look at this thing we call Holy Communion. To do that, there's probably any number of passages that we could look at in Scripture. We could certainly look at the Gospels. We could look at how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us story of the Last Supper uh, and, and to get into some of those details. But this morning, what I want us to do is to look at how the Apostle Paul described what happened at the Last Supper. Uh, because what, what's interesting about his letter to the Corinthians is that when you get to chapter 11, you realize that he gives us great detail about a tradition that was passed on to him. He literally gives us the words of Jesus at the table. It's a beautiful, beautiful description of that first uh, supper that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. But it is in the context of a piece of scripture where the Apostle Paul is really, really mad. And the reason why he's mad is because this church just does not know how to celebrate communion the right way. So what I want us to do is I actually want to look at uh, a little bit of scripture that comes before what's printed in your bulletin. We're actually going to go back all the way to verse 17 of chapter 11 and hear how Paul is talking to this church about the practice of communion. Paul says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval so then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead and prepare your own private suppers. 
As a result, one person remains hungry, another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise that the church of God, by humiliating it and those that have nothing to eat? What, I, what shall I say to you then? Shall I, I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I have received from the Lord what I have also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this when you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment upon themselves. That's why so many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should eat all together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I'll give you further directions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here together this day be holy and acceptable in thy sight, thou who art our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So back when I was serving a church in the mountains of North Georgia, I had a woman that came up to me one evening at Wednesday night supper, and she said, Pastor Jeremy, I have an idea for ministry that I think we should implement here at the church. I said, great, what's the idea? She said, I think that our church should offer cotillion to the children in our community. Now, being that I didn't grow up in the South, I had never heard of that term before. I was not familiar with what she said. In fact, I just assumed that she had mispronounced the word communion. And I said, you want to offer communion to the children of our community? Let's do it. And she said, no. I didn't say communion. I said cotillion. That's a southern term for etiquette classes. I said, you want to offer etiquette classes at our church? What kind of etiquette would these children learn? She said, well, actually, they would learn all kinds of different things. They would learn stuff that's as simple as how to shake someone's hand properly or how to introduce themselves. They would learn how to do things like dance and, and, and how to be polite in public places. But maybe most of all, what these children would learn, she said, is they would learn table manners. And I said, they're going to learn table manners? She said, yes, that's one of the biggest things. They'll learn table manners. And I said, well, how many kids do you think 
are going to show up in Rabin County, Georgia, to take a class learning about table manners, to which she said, I don't know, but I hope it's a lot, because I really do believe that this is one of the most important things that we can ever learn, because you see, Pastor Jeremy, table manners are so much more than just figuring out which fork to use and when, or, or, or what to do with your napkin while you eat. No, table manners are about learning how to be in community with the people that are sitting right next to us. As soon as she said that, I knew two things. Number one, I knew that this was a ministry that we needed to implement, which we did, and it actually ended up being really, really successful. The second thing that I knew is that the Apostle Paul would ardently agree with that. The reason I say that is because in the summer of 54 AD, the Apostle Paul sat down to write a letter to one of his churches in south-central Greece. This church just so happened to be located in a city called Corinth. And the re reason why the Apostle Paul was writing, writing this letter, unfortunately, was not for any good reasons. It's not like he was writing to compliment them or congratulate them or to celebrate things that they had done. No, the express purpose of Paul's letter to the Corinthians was to tell them that they are a mess. And not just any kind of mess, but Paul needed them to know, you're a hot mess. <laughs> And so they were a church that was just filled with problems. I mean, they had problems on top of problems on top of problems. And so what the Apostle Paul decided to do is sit down and write a 6,830-word letter that would help them address each one. Now, what's interesting is that when you get to the 11th chapter, one of the things you, you realize is that the offense that Paul thought was the most egregious, like the thing that he thought that the Corinthian church was doing that was the absolute worst, was the way that they were gathering at the table. In fact, in verse 17, he says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In other words, what Paul is saying is, church, you'd be better off to not gather at all. I mean, I, I wish that I could say something praiseworthy. I wish that I could compliment you, but I can't because whenever you gather, you, you cause more trouble than you do good. And why? Paul said, it's because of your table manners. It's the way that you behave whenever you come to the table. Now, if you know anything about church history, uh, you probably know that one of the hallmarks of the early church was the fact that whenever they gathered for worship, they would also gather around the table to break bread together, meaning that they would celebrate the Lord's Supper every time they got together. They would take the bread and take the cup, and that's what they would do every time they were gathered together which is a beautiful thing, right? I mean, what, what, what pastor is going to be upset that the church wants to celebrate communion every time they're together? None, except for one, and that would be Paul, and that was because they never could get it 
right. Every time this church got together to celebrate communion, they did it in all the wrong ways. For instance, Paul said that apparently there were some people that were coming to the church to celebrate communion, but the way that they would do it is by showing up early. And they would treat the communion table like an all-you-can-eat buffet table, and they would literally just eat to their heart's content. They would sit down like they were at the Golden Corral, and they would eat and eat and eat, and they would leave little to nothing for everyone else, and then they would get up and they would leave. Other people were excited about taking communion. They couldn't wait to take communion. The only problem was they weren't excited about the body of Christ part of communion. They only wanted to partake in the blood of Christ part of communion. In other words, they just wanted that communion wine. And that's what they did, says Paul. They drank and they drank and they drank until worship was over and they tried to stand up and they went down the aisle and they were doing like this because they were three sheets to the wind. Why? Because they took too much communion. But probably the worst, the absolute worst thing that the church did. In fact, Paul says, you have humiliated yourselves and you have humiliated me. It's when people showed up at the church to take communion and they got nothing. Now, that's not to say that they were turned away. It's not to say that they were told that they had to leave. But sometimes there were people who would show up in order to worship and they wanted to be a part of the fellowship and they wanted to take communion and then the people who were already there would say, oh, we've got just a spot for you. Hold just a second. And they would set up separate tables. Separate tables where they could sit while they sat over here. And so what they would say is, all right, all the cool kids, all the popular crowd, all the insiders get to sit over here and all the rest of you, all you outsiders, you sit over here, and they would break the bread and drink the cup while they got nothing. And the unspoken message was loud and clear. You don't belong here. Now, I think that there are some places in our world and in our society where an exclusive mindset is 100% appropriate. I think that there are places in our culture where you can have things like exclusive groups and ex exclusive clubs, and you can have exclusive restaurants, or when you go to a sporting event, you can be seated in an exclusive area and receive exclusive treatment. I think that there are places where that is 100% okay. But where the Apostle Paul says that that can never, ever, 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 ever happen, is in the church. He said that can't ever happen in the church. And there's a million different things that he could point out to prove his point, but the one place that Paul points out in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he points to the table. Because what Paul believed is that when we're at the table, this isn't just about food. It's not just about sustenance or get, coming to church and getting a bite to eat. It's not having like a mid-worship service snack as kind of a treat for making it all the way through the sermon. Now, Paul believed that this is one of the holiest things 
we do. Because this, he said, is the Lord's Supper, which is not just a remembrance of what Jesus did at the Last Supper, but rather it is a recreation of, it is a representation of what Jesus said to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. And does anybody remember what Jesus said to his disciples the night before he was crucified? Paul says he took the bread, took the cup, and said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. In other words, this is a meal that signifies God's unconditional love for us. This is a meal where we experience God's amazing grace. And so it is that we cannot come to the table and to receive this meal of love and grace and then turn around and deny someone else access to that same love and grace. Paul said, you can't do that. Because when we come to the table, the thing that we need to understand is that we are all on the same footing. We are all on common ground. We're all in the same boat because when you come to the table, you're reminded about who you really are and who we really are at this table. Are sinners saved by grace? And so it is that we can't ever say to somebody, hey, uh, excuse me, you can't come up here because you're not worthy of this table like I am. Mm -mm 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 -mm. The moment that we start telling people they can't come is the moment that all of us need to be excluded from the table because the only reason any of us are allowed to go here is because Jesus said, they're with me. That's why for years, one of the things that we've practiced and we believe in in the Methodist Church is something called an open table. And uh, one of the, you might have heard me say that before, maybe you've heard me allude to it, but basically what the open table suggests is that there are no rules or regulations or requirements that you need to meet, qualify for, in order to come and to receive this meal of love and grace. There's nothing, no hoops that we need to jump through to prove to God, okay, God, I'm finally good enough to come and receive this. Uh-uh. No, an open table says that everyone is welcome at this table. And why? Because at the end of the day, what we recognize is this isn't my table or your table or this church's table or denomination's table. This is God's table. And at God's table... Everyone is welcome because we are all sinners saved by grace. But of course, just because we're all welcome at God's table doesn't mean that we all feel comfortable at God's table, and that's something that we've kind of struggled with over the years in the Methodist Church. Because there have been things that we have done, ways that we have gone about communion, that have made some people feel excluded. There have been some things that we've done that have made some people feel uncomfortable. For instance, back in the late 1800s, there was a church in Vineland, New Jersey, who was going through this very thing. Uh, there were people in that church that wanted to take communion. They were willing to come up, but they didn't. And it was for one reason. It was because this contingent of people were recovering alcoholics. 
And so to come to the table and to take even just a little bit of alcohol, just a little bit of wine, it was too tempting for them. It was just enough to make them fall off the wagon. And so they wanted to come. They just said, we, we can't. We can't because it's too much of a temptation. Well, there was one member of that church, a layman, he was actually a local dentist there in Vineland, New Jersey, who couldn't stand the thought that there were people in his church that wanted to take communion, but they weren't allowed to. And so, one of the things that he started working on was a process that would somehow extract the alcohol out of communion wine. He wanted to find a way to pasteurize it so that it wouldn't ferment and become an alcoholic beverage. So he worked on this thing. And it certainly didn't happen overnight. And it took plenty of, of trials and errors over the years. But finally, this layman from Vineland, New Jersey, figured it out. He, he discovered a concoction that allowed people to come to the table and drink something that felt communion appropriate. He called it grape juice. And as you know, uh, that was something that caught on like wildfire. There were a lot of churches, not just Methodist churches, that over the years started to use grape juice instead of wine. And even today, that is something that you will find in every United Methodist Church. We use grape juice instead of wine at the communion table. And somebody might think, well, why? Why is that? Jesus didn't use grape juice. Jesus said wine was okay. He did. You're right. But... We practice an open table, which means that we want to make this available for everyone. We would never want to put something in the way of someone coming forward and receiving this holy gift of love and grace. All of that started because one person said, I'm going to do something about this. That man's name, of course, was Thomas Welch, which is where we get... Welch's grape juice. And so, if later today you find yourself sipping on this concoction of Thomas Welch's, I want you to know that you will be drinking a thoroughly Methodist beverage. <laughs> Why do we come to the table? It's because this is where we learn our table manners. This is where we learn what it means to be in community with the people sitting right next to us. It's where we get to celebrate the love of God. It's where we get to experience the grace of God. And it's where we are reminded about who we really are. Because when Jesus says, this is my blood shed for you. This is my body broken for you. What we are reminded is that we are all but sinners saved by grace. Or as the great Martin Luther once said, as Christians who have, who have experienced the grace of God, we're just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.